Peace and welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Season 3 of Artistry is powered by Words, Beats, and Life. Peace. Peace. Peace, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are Rochelle Tin Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Today, as always, we have a special guest. Special guest in the house. Yeah, man, the homie A1. Yes. Super dope, um, amazing indie hip-hop artist. Um, has done a lot of groundbreaking things in the industry while preserving, uh, you know, the sound that a lot of us grew up on. You know what I mean? Um, he's also a co-owner of Don't Sleep Records. And more importantly, one of the many reasons why I got love for this brother, man, he's, uh, you know, he's definitely a part of, he's a member of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. You know what I mean? And and he's married to a dope MC too. This dude is just winning on all fronts. So let's bring this brother in. And right. he's from VA. And well, no, no, he's he not from. Well, he not from now. Hold you can't be doing that to Brooklyn people. <laughs> you you know that might be a problem. You know what I'm saying? You can't be doing that to Brooklyn well, folks. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. We'll get into that. In <laughs> you a know minute. what I'm saying? All right, let's bring this good brother in though. Clap it up, everybody! Woo-hoo. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What up, A? Hey, how you feeling, man? You're feeling great. I can't complain. How y'all? How y'all doing out there, everybody? Uh, I hope everybody's well. We are, yeah, man. We can't are. complain, man. Happy to have you here, brother. Yes. And so likewise. we're gonna. Yeah, man. We're gonna get right into it because I know Absolutely. we have um, we have a lot of questions for you sure. regarding your creative journey and and just your your creative process. And so mm-hmm. first and foremost, because you know all of us, you know, the last two years have been challenging in mm-hmm. some ways rewarding um what has what has been um your last two years been for you and your family um during the pandemic it started off slow you know we didn't know what was happening we didn't know what was going on um but then immediately creativity started to pick up as you at home doing nothing waiting on you know, news or, or something to happen. So it got extremely busy. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's what happened to us. I just got really busy. So I've been just creating the entire time and just put my foot on the gas and didn't let up. And um, it's probably been the busiest that I've ever been to be quite honest um, wow. in, in this whole journey. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So we we started off with a with a little bit of a debate here on, you know, what you who you repping for. Oh no, 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 it's not a debate. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like no matter where a Brooklyn person moves in the world <laughs> You still from Brooklyn. Yeah, it's forever Brooklyn, you know what I mean? No um, doubt. So, so go ahead. You know, so tell us so okay, keep it keep it make it clear for us. So you were born in Brooklyn. Yes, I was born in Brooklyn, uh, on moved to Virginia when I was about nine years old. Um, And I've been here my whole life. So even though I was born in Brooklyn and I draw inspiration from Brooklyn, um, I'm very much a Virginian, you know, very Mm -hmm. much part of part of the 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 ecosystem here in Virginia, Um, predominantly in Hampton Roads, the 757. Um, mm-hmm. where I grew up, spent most of my time and um, honed my skills. So 
Yeah. I definitely consider Virginia my home. I love it. But New York just always has a certain energy that you yeah. just have to pull from, you know, yeah. especially being the birthplace of hip hop and just timing. And, you know, I think that uh, a substantial could relate, you know, like, I know you went uh, went to school out there, lived there, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and, and the whole nine. And I think that you could relate to that energy being there while uh, the timeline of hip hop is actually coming into prominence. So mm-hmm. you can never um, ever imagine what that is for an MC, seeing it, you know, mm-hmm. just happen before your eyes. Like I never forget being a little kid going to um, Albee Square Mall and, you know, you just see the rappers that you just saw on Video <laughs> Music Box. So it just it just was a way that you felt like I can do that too because they're right here. Mm-hmm. You know, right. everyone is tangible. So, um, you know, I really uh, appreciate New York for giving me that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it like, though, being from New York and then move into a place like um, Virginia. Like, you know, that, I'm sure that culture shock, like, you know, like one place is kinda, uh, New York is so busy, right? Like it just has a busy energy, even off the late night, you know what I mean? It might not be a lot of people out, but you just still feel like, it just feels like there's activity all around you, even when you don't see other folks and so what was that transition like going from that to um to moving to va interesting question and um honestly i felt like that transition was more or less easy because even though virginia at the time was different in the geographical sense just the landscape was different it was more green um you know i I was from the concrete jungle where it was all asphalt bricks you know Mm -hmm. coming to virginia you get that landscape and especially in Hampton Roads, you know, uh, I lived on the peninsula, so I'm surrounded by water, just a beautiful place. But this is the caveat. I came with uncles and aunts that was teenagers in their early twenties. So immediately we found the trenches, you know, and found found the activity, you know, and um, found where everything was happening. So I quickly found myself in Norfolk, um, mm-hmm. places on the borderline of my city, Newport News and Hampton, um, mm-hmm. neighborhoods like Glen Gardens and Woodsong. Quickly found myself there, meeting kids from there, you know, which we would call the urban areas, you know, um, right. but that's where the music was. That's where everybody was kind of um, congregating and, you know, things were happening, you know, musically, silently. So I had, I was drawn to, to that energy. You know, I was drawn to the East End or the unsavory places because that's where mm-hmm. the creativity is sparked and that's where all my friends were from. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that much of a difference, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be quite honest with you, when Man. you look right. at it from that perspective. No doubt. No doubt. Man. What would you say was your first introduction to the arts? Mm, I would have to say um, the jams in the park, the, the block parties. So, you know, that's where I first heard the music. Um, it wasn't the TV or the radio. It was right outside. And um, it was so different for me because radio, it's funny that radio became segregated because when I was a little kid, very little, radio was very gentrified. You know, um, before the advent of urban radio, you could be riding down the streets and, you know, you can hear a Run DMC record and then they'll go right into like Queen, 
you know, uh, yeah. another one bites the dust, you know, because yeah. the breaks, the breaks were really heavy into mm -hmm. the culture. It wasn't until the mid 80s when I started to listen to radio shows like um, Chuck Chill Out and DD mm -hmm. Red Alert, you know, that I really was like just locked in the hip hop. But I would say I got my first experience and taste of it outside. And I immediately wanted to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I also would like to, to shout out Video Music Box and Ralph McDaniels for bringing it, you know, on public access TV right into the home, you know, because I was from a neighborhood, you couldn't have cable, but we had Channel 31. So, um, you know, it made it possible for me to be, you know, see videos and hear the music very early, as opposed to some of my friends who, you know, had to wait on your own TV rap. Ralph McDaniels was first. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just so people yeah. know. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, man. So a lot of times um, as artists, you know, we spend a good amount of our time honing our skills, uh, you know, ciphers in the crib, writing, and doing shows uh, like showcases or open mics, not making any money, right? Um, doing a lot of things for quote unquote exposure. Um, but at some point in time, you know, your first paid gig came up. So like talk, talk about that experience, you know, when, when you did your first um, paid show, like, and what lessons did you take from that moment, you know, transitioning from doing it for the quote unquote love, um, to like still doing it for the love, but now actually um, receiving something. Mm, that's a great question. And um, I remember my first paid gigs. I started out really early getting paid off rap music mm. because I came from battle culture, and there right. was a lot of um, events mm -hmm. in the seven five seven that you know you would sign up for the battle, and I just happened to be one of the people that always won. So I was always making money off of rap music um, mm. since I, I really started, you know, and jumped mm. out there. Um, in my early, early formative years, like when I was a little kid, now of course I wasn't making money. I wasn't even that good at that point. Mm. But by the time I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was already um, earning money, you know, in battles and things like that, and um, local shows that, you know, paid. It wasn't exorbitant amounts, but Mm -hmm. It was just still, you know, you earned it because you had right. to go through right. the, the these tournaments and these battles. So I felt like I earned it, you know, and mm -hmm. I walked away from it thinking, well, if I can make money, you know, in a tournament setting, maybe it's time to do some other things. And that mm -hmm. led me to making my own mixtapes and selling them and making money that way. So. I just basically took my winnings and reinvested back into myself to continue to make money. And, um, you know, I survived several summers <laughs> like that, you know, um, I, I, I can tell you, like I met my wife selling CDs, not directly, but when I met her, I was selling um, CDs and, you know, my best friend, um, he was right along with me and, we would make a bunch of money and then the, the end of the night go spend it at a club. You know, we really <laughs> irresponsible. But, <laughs> but, you know, that's what you do when, you, when you're younger. But um, mm -hmm. it, it made for some great times and um, great relationships that I built along the way. And I think that sensibility that 
I made it and I felt like I earned it. It wasn't given mm-hmm. to me because I had to go through the battles and then reinvested in myself. That's what actually set me up for independence, you know, thinking right. that way, like, all right, I made this. How can I make more? And um, when I started making money off the mixtapes, that's when I knew there was a possibility that you didn't need the infrastructure that existed to actually have some success. Like mm-hmm. I was literally making enough money more than I made at my job, just waking up every day, going out, selling mixtapes. So I knew then that this was a viable option. Um, I just needed to fine tune it. Right. Yeah. And what year, uh, and what year would you say, um, when you say it got to the point where you were making more from selling the the music than you were at your job? What year was this? Um, this was probably about 2003, 2004. Gotcha. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and even though I made it, I still kept working because, you know, right. I just felt like it's always better to have more. You know, right. it's always better to have a backup plan. I didn't get that confident until much later to where I just wanted to leave everything. Right. But um, that's that's when I really knew. Like, And that's like almost 20 years ago, you know, so... Yeah. It goes to show this has been a long journey, but it's always been a journey that had benefits because of the way that I was able to approach it and um, the way that my community embraced me and the people around me supported me. I mean, you know, I couldn't ask for a better support system than, than the 757 in Hampton Roads, you know, from doing the drops on radio to, you know, the prone radio promos to even having my songs played on the radio, you know, it, it just always was like love. So um, yeah, it's hard to get that. And I know a lot of cats in VA don't get the same experience that I received. Mm-hmm. So I consider myself very blessed, but um, I got to shout out the people that really supported me, like DJB, DJ Stress, some of the early adopters of A1 that put A1 on the radio. Two white boys in the beat, you know, DJ Fonz and Joe Super put me on the radio. You know what I'm that's saying? Love. So, yeah, man, it was always love. And that's, that's why I love Virginia's for lovers. Yeah, for facts. <laughs> facts. That's dope, man. That's dope. Yeah, I was going to, it's so when I asked that initially, what I was thinking, you know, I know a lot of folks had to pivot during um, the pandemic, but it feels like in the music industry, like we're pivoting all the time, right? Like every few months, the industry changes in some major way, you know, whether folks are paying attention or not. And so as someone who comes from the era where we were doing a lot of hand-to-hand sales, right, like physical sales, um, to now this digital day and age, I feel like you're one of the uh, brothers from that era um, you know, who makes uh, makes that, that throwback sound, who's managed to pivot extremely well. I think of brothers like you, I think of brothers like Funky DL, um, who've been in it a very long time and has successfully pivoted on a, a good amount of times. So like, what do you what do you attribute that to? Um I'm a fan of the culture, you know what I'm saying? I'm a fan of the art. So as a consumer first. I just think about what do I like, how mm-hmm. what approach am I using to consume music, and then I just jump on that. So you know, I remember I'm a big techie guy, and iPhones came out. Mm-hmm. Had to have one. If I got an iPhone, I had iTunes. Had to get my music up there. You know what right. I mean? So right. 
the the technology really drives mine on business decisions because that's how people consume music um mm -hmm. and that's how people consume the art people are no longer standing in fye sampling music with the headphones on you know right. what i mean we're not right. i was one of those people that did that you know yeah. they went listened bought cds every tuesday every you know every time they dropped i was in line i was out there yeah. but those times have changed tremendously and now you know the the music ecosystem is set up to where the playing field is extremely level mm -hmm. but at the same time you have to know where the audience is so there was a lot of um i guess you could say reverse engineering where mm -hmm. you're just asking people questions you know trying to figure out what the people want and always staying engaged with the audience and um making whatever pivots necessary that i needed to do to uh you know attain success at, at this level um and it hasn't been easy and it, and it also has come with a lot of um pushback because everybody doesn't agree with the unconventional methods of releasing music digitally in the way that i would do it you know um, right. an example is never pay for a digital on bandcamp it's going to be name your price because why would i do that when people are going to go to the other platforms and stream it because that's something that now just happens to come with the phone you pay mm -hmm. for it but if people expect it just to come with the phone mm -hmm. so i think amplification comes with give and you get you give and you receive so we give some things and in expectation receive more and i, I think that's how um, we've been able to amplify a little bit more and um you know mid 2000s vinyl came back heavy that mm -hmm. was another pivot you know and i know you you aware of that you know what yeah. I mean? because you've had vinyl and you're still pushing it and um it came back heavy and being an early adopter and um building those relationships in that world also secures your spot where now people are just trying to get in and they're priced out because things have dramatically changed. So I think being an early adopter also is something that is extremely beneficial um, for creatives. Um, and yeah. creatives don't like to move a lot. You know, we don't Man, like come to move. on now. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Come on, past the A1. You know, and I say that to everybody that has a dream, you know you have to be flexible because mm -hmm. your flexibility is also your availability. And um, if you're not available, then you don't get the opportunity. You, you don't get paid. That's a quote That's right incredible. there. Your flexibility. Your flexibility is your, your availability. Your availability. That down. That's Where a t-shirt, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man, I've quoted the night so far. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pastor A1 out here delivering. You know? Amen, amen. Amen. You know, it's, this is actually a great segue to my, um, my next question. Um, you had mentioned technology and the importance of technology for creatives. Let's, so now we're going to talk about shop, right? So what soft skills as well as, um, as far as programs, software that you utilize that helped in your development as an artist? Oh man, there's so many, um, software programs that I use, but my go-to is GarageBand. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. I use it. Um, yeah. I use it alongside Logic. So, um, you know, GarageBand is just quicker to get into and do something quick. Logic, Logic has more um, bells and whistles to it to mm -hmm. get, you, you know, to polish the uh, final product, but they both work hand in hand. And then there's also, uh, you know, 
creative software that is used, you know, like, and that's all on, on the phone, like um, all of the Adobe suites, you know, Photoshop, everything, like anything you can think of that we make things with or try to get out there is important. I also think the um, Vasco app, the VSCO app for images is really important to um, sharpen up, you know, the way you look online and on social media, just, just so many different things. I try a whole lot of um, apps and technology just to deliver a, um, a better quality uh, presentation of what we're trying to do. We sell nostalgia, but everything can't always look nostalgic. You have to yeah. be in a new, you know, in, in present day and time, but it just has to feel like it. I, I equate it to the automotive industry. Um, mm. Cars change a lot, but they don't change that much. Mm. And then they soften the look of cars to make it look like something familiar to you. Mm. But at the same time, it's totally new. And um, when you think of the innovation in automobiles, Ford is one of the companies that they thrive with nostalgia. When you look at the Mustangs, they look like the older models mm -hmm. in the modern time. And that's, yes. that's done by design. That's so multi-generations can feel a connection to it and be able to purchase it, get into it, and it mm -hmm. all feel and all touches somewhere in the heart, soul. Like, oh, my granddad had a car like this, or my dad drove his car, mm -hmm. and this car reminds me of that. And then you see yeah. Dodge jump on the same bandwagon. So I think the American car makers understand the importance of nostalgia and the ability to um infuse nostalgia into modern practices and making new products for people so i'm a big big proponent of nostalgic futurism making people mm. want that that uh feeling you know what i mean yeah. And, um, yeah i'm just trying to recreate the feeling that i got when i was eight years old listening to big daddy kane you know what i'm saying absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. man yeah i a hundred percent feel you um you know, I had this conversation. We our last guest was Naturel, and after last um, our show from two weeks ago, when that finished, we probably stayed on with him afterwards. What two to three hours? Like mm -hmm. we were talking that night, just catching up because we had so much history with him. And one of the things we talked about, you know, I talked about how when I was coming out, you know, and over the years, you know, I'm twenty plus years in, like I never really abandoned the the core sound that i established mm -hmm. early on and it's partly because i know if if i'm in this game long enough this sound that i might abandon is going to come back around and when that wave comes back around am i going to be in the conversation will people mention me still will, will they remember what my contributions were before i can't rely on that so yo let me keep at it and let me at the same time find ways to kind of uh, further my craft right like uh, still show growth as an artist maybe even adapt some of the newer things that, but still put that nostalgic twist on it so it feels authentic right and so man i feel i feel that with my soul brother like you know um from the moment i met you and started to do my my research like i see you embody that so well man um and how y'all you know display that through your business as well you know but Outside of that, let's talk about, um, you know, the, the, the parts of the biz that you enjoy most, 
versus what some of your biggest challenges have been? And maybe those two overlap a little bit, but what are the, the parts that are most enjoyable to you and what have been some of your biggest challenges? Uh, the thing that I enjoy the most about the business is uh, engaging with people, being available to people, like when I'm able to talk to people and I read the messages that I get, that's amazing. Like I never thought that I would have this many relationships, you know, just from making myself available to anybody that hits me up, you know, um, that's a different approach. A lot of people are unavailable to people, but I tell you, I've gotten every opportunity that I ever received because I answer those messages and read that's those real. emails and everything, yeah. you know, because people are actually reaching out to either congratulate you, say how much they rock with you, or because they have an opportunity for you, you know what I'm saying? And they want to do business with you. So um, that's one of the things that I really enjoy is just kicking it with people about the music and how we may have touched them. The other thing is touring, um, mm -hmm. which brings me to a bigger the, the challenge. You know, touring is extremely incredible. Uh, I can't wait to get back out and go back to Europe and in other co continents, you know, and go elsewhere. But um, what pains me is the geography of America. Our country is so big that it makes, you know, touring um, for hip hop acts, especially the indie acts, very difficult. Um, just because of the geography, nothing else. It's not that people don't want to come out. It's not that people, that's not it. It's just geography in general. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you could travel around Europe in in hours, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just hopping on hour flights, going to the next country, getting on the train, going to the next country. But in America, we know that it's much more difficult to um, make that trek, you know, just being in one state. It's like being in a country and traveling in the country in Europe. So that's a huge challenge. And I've talked to a lot of OGs about it and everybody has that gripe. So um, we have to do something about that, you know, and I know promoters are getting snuffed out by the big corporations like Nob, Live Nation and, you know, some of the other corporate sponsors that sponsor big um, festivals and these uh, communal events where they just want everybody to get together at one point of the year. But we really need to get a focus back on indie intimate gatherings here in the States, because it's really, even for me, it's hard to see my favorite artists. Like when the show comes around, it's like, you gotta go. Cause it ain't gonna happen again, you know, especially for hip hop. So that's, that's an unfortunate aspect that I don't like about you know, the, the, the industry um, as it stands now is that, you know, the underground or the indie is not getting the light that it needs to in America, even though our streaming numbers, our record sales, everything proves otherwise that we're doing well here. It's just that we don't have the backing or the corporate support to really mm -hmm. put together a network of, of shows. So that's that's um, extremely frustrating. No, that's real. That's definitely real. Yeah. So real quick, we're going to um, go to a quick ad uh, break with our sponsor, Words, Beats and Life. Um, shout out to them and um, doing great work in the community. So we're going to have a quick word from them and we'll be back with more A1. So everybody hold tight. Brother, you stick around and we'll be right back. All right. Hi, I'm Terry or Rosina Terry Memolo, and I teach roses and concrete here at Words, Beats and Life. 
visual arts probably is one of the things that kept me interested in school and kept me attending. And then of course I went on to art school. It kept me motivated, it kept me focused, gave me a space to express myself, connections with other people, other artists. I teach Roses and Concrete for a few different reasons. One of them is working with flowers and making things is a great hustle. The same inspiration that I needed in school with visual arts, I know that young people need it today, and I believe that's what we pass on when we teach this class. It gives that hope, that inspiration to keep going. That's why I'm with WBL. So enroll in my class at wblinc.org slash academy. All right. Thanks again to our sponsor, Words, Beats, and Life. Clap it up for them. We appreciate the continued support. And uh, we're back with more A1. Yes. And so um, as you reflect on your career, and um, as Stan had mentioned earlier with, you know, challenges as well as accomplishments, um, some of your accomplishments, and there's been many, um, you have had the honor of sharing the stage with some notable acts um, in hip-hop. Particularly, um, you know, we have Common, we have Odyssey, mm -hmm. and several others. What would be your most memorable moment? Um, I think one of my most memorable shows was when we did a show with Little Brother at Hampton University. Um, because my son was born, my my middle son, my youngest son was born the day before, oh, so wow. I literally was leaving the hospital, going to do that show. He wow. wasn't supposed to be born that day, but he he ended up being born that day. He it was he was a week early, so um, he wanted to go to was, the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was an incredible show. We had such a great time. Everybody was so cool, and um, I remember the lineup. It was uh, Little Brother, um, Kev Brown, and Low Budget, and um, us. And our crew at the time was the Soul Students. So. That was an incredible show. And um, I would say another one was uh, when we opened for EPMD down in Cat's Cradle in North Carolina. Uh, I think that was like 07. And that part of that show was um, in the documentary in Underdogs, um, just just a, a freestyle. I think it was accordion. And um, <laughs> the story behind that was um, we were just so hyped and the stage was really bouncy. It was like maybe some faulty boards in there. Somebody didn't put it together. And mm -hmm. um, the energy that we had kept having uh, our DJs, Al Bum, shouts out to Al, the needle kept skipping on the oh. original record. <laughs> and he was, he was hot. He was hot. I never forget his face. He was like, y'all got to chill. You know, quiet. This is all like cues. Like, it was like my, it was like miming. Like, he looking at us like, you know, and then he just threw on the accordion and everybody just chilled out and I zoned out on that, man. And um, that's how the show got started. And we just had a great show after that. So that, you know, those those moments to me are most memorable just because of the, the backstories of what was going on during that time. Right. So I can never forget those shows. Yeah, that's dope, man. That's dope. So. I know you were just kind of going down memory lane, but like, you know, we're, we're in the now. And so I'm curious to know what you're working on um, currently. What's, uh, what's next? What can people expect from you over the next few months um, or next year? 
Sure. So um, first and foremost, immediately, I have a new album that's coming out. It's called Infinite Wisdom, and it's produced by Soul Dope 95. He's a producer uh, based in L.A., and um, we we linked up online through um, my best friend, Rashad, playing A&R. Um, he found him and he was like, he came to me one night, came over my crib and he was like, yo, you need to work with this guy. And I listened and um, I reached out and then we started just talking through chat, you know, and um, he sent a few packs of beats and the rest is history. I started working with him actually right around this time last year. So June of last year. And I recorded up until maybe April of this year and mm. um, just getting the masters back. So that album, Infinite Wisdom, will be out yeah. very soon. Our first single timeline, we're getting that together right now. We're going to yeah. get that on DSPs within this month, um, hopefully, if not early July. And then the album will roll out um, in two parts. The first half uh, will follow the single. And then mm -hmm. the second half will probably be the start of school. So maybe late August, September, we'll get that going. Um, just so people can listen to the body's work and um, we can have an ongoing uh, conversation and maybe make it evolve and maybe we throw some remixes out there too. I just want to try something different with a release because, um, you know, these news cycles and the way that we move, you know, social media and everything, mm -hmm. um, some of the greatest work ever is coming out. It's just being pushed down by yeah. whatever new meme or whatever new TikTok or whatever new news uh, story or headline is out there. So right. we just got to find a better way to cherish the um, art a little bit more instead of making our music disposable. Because yeah, for that's, sure. that's kind of what it feels like right now. So I just want to do things a little bit differently to keep everyone engaged and in conversation. No, I, I feel you 100%. Yeah, and you bring up a very good point about, you know, um, how your creative process, you know, how things have changed. And how would you say your work has evolved throughout over the years? Um. It's more solitary. Is is I'm in more solitude now. You know, I work alone more, more or less, um, and I like it that way. You know, I used to immediately get opinions and share music with everyone, um, and I don't do that anymore. Even some of my closest friends, when I put out music now, they hear the final product. They hear what everybody else hears. They don't get to um, influence me in any way because sometimes, you know, you have to protect your energy as a creative because other people would impose their ideas on you and then kind of take you off course. So if you believe in what you're doing, you should stay to that course and um, keep it very personal and close to the hip. Um, you know, as an MC and as a lyricist, I think that's an important part of not letting anything intrude or impede on your messaging what you're saying and what you're trying to get across because you know technically we are writers and poets and you know this is like literary in my in my opinion um mm -hmm. so somebody might say something and throw throw you off and um change your trajectory of where you were supposed to go so that's how i evolved the more protecting of my own art form until you know the finished product is out there yeah yeah definitely it's funny man that you mentioned the literary thing um so we were messaged by by a super fan of yours um from france 
Um, and the brother wanted to know, like, if you would ever consider um, writing a book, like to really document your journey and um, your different experiences. He really admires um, the music you make. He admires what type of man you are. He, he spoke on, like, you know, how he admired, um, you know, you being a family man and how all of these things affect the type of art that you create. So that being said, is that something you would consider? Is that something in your future? Um, I never say never. I've honestly, mm. I've thought about it, but um, sometimes I'm so modest that I'm like, don't nobody want to read a book about me. Like, why would I write a book? <laughs> Who am I to be writing a book, you know? <laughs> but I, I do have um, journals that I keep, that I write co consistently. Um, oh. You know, I probably have a book just of my thoughts, just that I, you know, write down just to kind of decompress and, um, you know, reflect on the day or whatever was going on with me. So maybe that might be a part of something that people want to uh, look at, you know, to see what I'm thinking, my journey, you know, and um, outside of just music, just who I am as a human being, maybe um, one thing I might unleash that, but I think it's a great idea. And I think that eventually um, I might feel that I'm worthy of writing a book about myself, but um, you know, <laughs> let the legacy tell it, you know, it's a lot of books out there, they albums, man, you know, that's what's mm -hmm. really what I'm putting out there, but I'm right. not going to count it out. Cause I didn't think that anybody would want to see a documentary either. So. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, man. Like, you know, we we saw underdogs, man. And, you know, uh, from one MC to another, I greatly appreciated uh, seeing your journey, um, you know, seeing like your accomplishments over the years, like, you know, the relationship with you and your wife, all of those different things. And, and I'm sure many other people enjoy, enjoyed it. In fact, I remember you posting about uh, Master Ace actually stamping. Uh, the documentary and um and how much he felt it and um what did that what did that feel like you know like you know having a legendary Brooklyn MC bigging you up like that you know I'm sure you grew up listening to him right absolutely when you have one of your heroes um you know shout you out it's the ultimate compliment that you can ever receive you know um Master Ace is someone who I respect you know highly like i have a high level of respect for his journey and um i actually model some of my independent sensibilities from what he's been able to do in terms of just going from this huge mainstream artist to refining what he was doing for independence and that's right. incredible and the staying power of that it's like master ace has two different careers and mm -hmm. it's like the one career is a legendary, you know, some people might say old school artist, you know, uh, back with the symphony, but people also have to understand he was extremely young, you know, when yeah. he started that career. And then he has the, the evolution of that, you know, in the 2000s, you know, with disposable arts and, mm -hmm. you know, that evolution, Long Hot Summer, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and those albums mean so much to people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I happen to just, been around for the entire journey from the symphony, right. you know, on the road, you know what I mean? And all of that and, and into that new independent era that he flourished with. And um, yeah. it, it's amazing. And 
I admire artists that know how to constantly reinvent themselves and pivot in ways that make sense for the time. And he's one of those guys that just was yeah. able to do that so well to where, you know, somebody's granddad knows who Master Ace is from where he it's did crazy. when he was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But that grandchild loves Master Ace for what he's doing right now. You know what I'm that's saying? Crazy. Yeah. And that's that's when you win it. Yeah. And Symphony sure. is definitely a classic. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out too about Master Ace um that connects with uh what you've done. Uh Master Ace has also occasionally over the years partnered up with like, you know, one producer to uh, to make a project. And you, um, although you got uh, the new project coming where you've partnered up with a, um, a producer you haven't worked with um, before like that, uh, most people know about your work with Phonics. Uh, so would you like to talk about that a little bit? Like maybe speak on, um, you know, that connection that you all have built over the years, the, the label, and, and also, you know, like what's so special about one MC and one producer doing a full-length record together or an EP together. Because we see that formula so much in hip-hop, and it and it usually works extremely well. So, um, yeah, definitely could speak on that. Sure, sure. Phonics is my brother. Like, um, you know, we met in 2013, and um, immediately when I heard the music that he was sending my way, just... He was listening to my first album and decided to send me some beats and I was blown away. I listened and um, the beats that he sent became my first album, Return of the Golden Era. He, it was like he knew what I needed and um, I trusted him. Um, Phonics is a lot younger than me, but I trusted his ear because it was so, um, it was amazing that somebody, you know, 10 years younger than I was, knew exactly what I wanted to hear and was such a student of the culture and, and so educated in, in hip hop. Um, I knew that he was special. So that bond that we built has become a brotherhood over the years. He's family, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, love him to death. But um, it takes me back to some Guru and DJ Premier mm -hmm. or, um, you know, uh, Eric B and Rakim, but mm -hmm. some people may debate that because there's a lot of large professor Marlon Mar talking there, you know, but right. Pete Rock and CL Smooth, smooth it, yeah. it just it just works. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um it, it really works. And then you got Master Ace and Marco Polo. So Yeah, you know, shout it, out to Marco Polo. It works. And that, and I think that um what really stuck the producer MC formula in my head was 04 uh, with uh, Doom, Rest in Peace, and Madlib, Mad Villain. Mm. Um, that body of work was very stripped down. And I think that Mad Villain, Villainy was the um, blueprint for modern hip hop, underground hip hop today. I don't yeah. think that we have um, evolved even further from that. I think that we're still in that pocket and there's people who still enjoy that stripped down version of, mm -hmm. um, you know, nostalgia. But again, it came from one producer, one MC. Um, and it's just, it's just easier. 
especially yeah. when as an independent. Um, we all know that it's very hard to get a few people together. Imagine what it takes to produce a whole record and how many mm -hmm. people have their hands on and how many other musicians you're dealing with. And it becomes mm -hmm. a logistics thing. Um, you know, where the files, uh, how someone wants to be paid. Are you directly talking to the person or talking to the manager, mm -hmm. or talking to the manager's manager? You, it, it, <laughs> it, it can get really complex. And I think simplifying things is just so much easier for the audience to follow. It um, offers a lot of cohesion and a cohesive mm -hmm. sound, and it's better for storytelling. So mm -hmm. when you think about music, music is still a product, and every product needs a, a story behind it. You need to be able to tell a unique story about the product. And I think that um, with multiple producers, like a bunch of producers on projects, remind people of is corporations and just mm -hmm. putting things together. Is I don't not you know cats who do that more power to them. There's guys who make incredible albums with multiple producers, but I think mm -hmm. that that's for a certain audience and a, and that's for a certain type of product, which is a more commercial product that it you know needs to be a certain way for a wider audience. But I think for what we do, um, cohesion is what our listeners want because I think that. Um, the independent hip hop listener is just more educated and well versed in um, their palette of what they want to hear, and cohesion seems to be a huge, a huge factor in if they rock with you or not. You know, um, I read comments and I watch reviews of albums, and you know, the main thing I hear oh, it was all over the place. You know, people like saying it was all over the place. I couldn't follow along, so I think right. one producer does help that. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, man. And um, what I was gonna say is, um, I, I another, that's another thing I relate to a lot. Shout out to uh, my phonics, uh, Marcus D. I appreciate him. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, you know, and I feel like y'all are like we're we're multiverse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Y'all a multiverse version of us, right? Like or vice versa. You know what I mean? In a perfect Absolutely. world, we we'd be torn together at some point. You know what I'm saying? Get yeah, that Bob that happen. yeah, man. A little, you know, substantial A one phonics and Marcus D. Yeah, put it in the yeah. universe, you know. Yeah, yeah. And shout yeah. out, and shout out to the brother in the chat. He's the, uh, I think Laurent is the one that sent the uh, the question. Uh, oh from yeah, that's that my that bro. Asked. That's my bro. What's yeah, up? Laurent? Bonsoir, yeah. bonsoir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's mad late for him too. Yeah, for sure. So, in addition to being, of course, a talented MC. You are a um, a business owner. You you co-manage, co-own your own record label, but you also have another title um, too. In fact, you are a husband and a father. And so, um, how does that inform your de your decisions um, as far as how you approach being being an MC and as a business person? Oh, uh, you know, greatly. I, 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 everything that I do, um, my family is in my mind. For every decision I make, I have to consider um, my entire family, all my children, you know, my three children and my wife. I have to consider um, how would my career decisions impact them. So that's first and foremost um, in every decision that I make. That determines if I'm coming to your city or not. That determines. Mm -hmm you know, if I'm doing a record with you or not, how is it going to impact my household? And um, I think that that's just 
kept me grounded and also um, kept me from making some bad decisions or decisions that wouldn't be advantageous financially nor worth my time at times. You know, uh, as MCs, we always want to do something. We always want to get out. We want to perform. We want to work. But sometimes you have to think that all money is just not good money. My Uncle Angel always would say that all money ain't good money. It's the truth. So um, my family and their comfort, um, their well-being is my primary focus. And I make my decisions um, based off of that because there has to be some balance, you know. And um, I always consult with my wife. She's like my de facto manager. Um, Mm -hmm. Every decision goes through her you know what the people know it or not so if i say no i'll blame tiff <laughs> i'm just kidding, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nah, but but you know she does um help out a lot in terms of just making this thing work and um uh she's a better judge character than me so she like got the spidey senses up so mm-hmm. um I, That's why I, you got to keep the wisdoms around. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. She does the smell test on everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it, say, it saves me a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. um, saves me financially, saves me from a lot of heartache mm-hmm. and a lot of frustration because there's so much work that goes into making a product that actually gets out to the people, gets out to consumers. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure it is always on point. And, um, you know, you need a second set of eyes to do that. And who better than a person who knows you the best? That's real. Absolutely. Super real. I concur. Yeah, man. Listen. <laughs> hey, yeah, look, she said it before I was. I was about to. That's the quote from uh, Bamboozle when they were talking about uh, Charlie Baltimore. She had dropped the gem and they was like, that's why you got to keep the wisdoms around, you know? <laughs> but um, Super facts. Yeah, man. But. So listen, so as you reflect on your career, what would you say are like, what would you say is the biggest lesson um, that you learned over the years? Um, the biggest lesson that I learned is give everybody a chance. Somebody mm-hmm. gave me a chance. So me giving younger producers a chance or a young director a chance uh, mm-hmm. benefited me greatly from just returning the favors of the universe. You know, the universe Mm -hmm. bestowed some big brothers and OGs on me that showed me the game, that gave me opportunities. And I have to be that same big brother or OG to people that's coming up that are extremely talented that Mm -hmm. also need an opportunity to flourish. And I think that's that's super duper important. And um, I wish more artists would see that because I think that we have more longevity for some of the um, cats out here, but you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I shout out to my kids because they helped me to stay open, you know, um, mm-hmm. and keep me abreast on um, what I need to be doing. And uh, I just, I'm, I pay attention. The other thing is being observant, you know, that goes hand in hand. Just give people a chance, be observant, make sure you don't get too stuck into your own ways or to your own routine because the the world, excuse me, the world doesn't stop and it's constantly changing and our situation is constantly evolving and um, we just don't know what tomorrow will bring. So keep an open mind. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, 
And it's funny, our last, you, you answered what our final question was going to be mm-hmm. while also um, answering the last question because we were going to talk about advice for emerging artists. But I felt like yeah. that right there, man, that was a major gem. So appreciate you, brother. Um, definitely appreciate your time and and your contribution, your constant contributions to the to the business of, of music um, and the art that you've been sharing with the world, man. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for you. Your name has come up so many times before we met um, because of the type of hip hop I was making. But then when I met you, I was and like uh, just kind of watching your journey and seeing how you move business wise, you know, like it's one of those things where you realize like you're grateful that your name is coming up in certain conversations with certain people. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, this is a brother. I don't mind. If if when his name comes up, my name comes up, I'm doing something right. So man, <laughs> salute to you, brother, man. Um, and uh, you know, much success to you, blessings to your family, Absolutely. all of that. You know? Absolutely. And and likewise, man, and likewise, like, you know, when it comes down to you, DL, Marcus D, you mm-hmm. know, 49ers, all y'all brothers really um kept me motivated and also showed me that there was another lane and another opportunity because I think we all um, came out at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, and I got to work with Marcus D. I got to work with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I got to work with Jason from 49. So, you know what I mean? Uh, it's mm-hmm. just, it was just an amazing journey. And that's how I met Soul Chef, Thomas Prime, and all of those guys through exactly what we were doing in those circles. And, you know, we finally got to cross paths and make some things happen. So I appreciate you, brother. You know, both of y'all, you know, welcoming me into the fold, into your home. It's all love. I appreciate y'all. <laughs> yeah, definitely man and shout out the band camp for uh helping us meet you know what i mean we met at a Absolutely. band camp event yeah yeah sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely I mean. definitely yeah shouts out to lucas at band camp for sending right. that invite that was real dope Absolutely, and my man Marcus J. Moore, who used to be with Bandcamp, you know what i mean yeah yeah marcus another cool brother definitely yeah, absolutely absolutely all right well we're about to we're about wrap to wrap it, up, it up, but thank you so much. This was amazing. You you gave us a lot of gems, a lot of quotables. Oh yeah, man. We'll be sure to be adding that to the to the mix. Yeah, for sure. For but sure. um, thank you all for the audience, for you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. You know, we're here again every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what we got next. Next up, we have two sisters. Okay. Okay, we have sisters. Adrian and Nicole, who are artists and designers and also uh, Pratt alums. So they'll be joining us Mm. in two weeks. So be sure to look out for that. And um, yeah. Yeah. And to everybody listening, um, if you are listening or you're watching the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Um, Be sure to share it. Um, If you know of up and coming artists, man, who could benefit from these stories, from this information. Absolutely. Encourage them to tune in. You know, we are. We are advocates of um, creatives, and we're just trying to keep people informed. Um, and the folks that we invite here are people that we greatly respect and have seen a lot of success over the years, finding, you know, along their journey, taking their own path. And so, again, man, shout out to our brother A1. We appreciate you, man. Have a great night. And uh, to everybody else, man, thank you so much for listening or watching Artistry. All right, so we'll see y'all in a bit. And that'd be good. Peace. Peace.
Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. Season 3 of Artistry is sponsored by Words, Beats, and Life. Visit www.wblinc.org to learn more. This podcast is produced by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartandmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart and Music. Peace.